Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Here with Benji for the recaps of Paris-Nice Stage 4, Torino adriatico Stage 3, and also Remco Avenepol losing his license for a couple of weeks at the end of this podcast. But first, Paris-Nice, the time trial. It was hillier and the hills were steeper than people thought from Domerat to Montluçon. It's 13 k's. 200 meters elevation there's two main climbs the last climb is 800 meters seven percent to the finish line which was quite steep you needed to conserve energy for that part of this course and as a reminder today the tour of utopia starts five stages of riding on zwift with five new routes unlocks and double xp so your efforts help you level up twice as quickly but it's going for the next uh, few days so if you can't get on to the first stage today there's other stages i'm going on at 8 p.m tonight there's rides going off at regular intervals to match your time and as always thanks to zwift for supporting the podcast but yeah Vanart took out this time trial taking another stage when you know we don't bury the lead on the tts roglic second on two seconds dennis third on six yumbo visma one two three then kung yates hater latour bisiga Pedersen, and martinez all about 11 to 25 seconds behind yumbo one two three benji that's Savello and their setup must be pretty fast yeah certainly it's a uh, another great team performance not necessarily a uh in team formation as its individual but it does show that the team is getting something right when it comes to the equipment and also when it comes to the uh engineering i think in regards to the arrow and so forth we know that that one guy better blocking and so forth makes 3d versions of every single one of the important yumbo cyclists for time trials and turns out that's helping out because they're getting results out of this and it isn't the first time that this is happening. We've seen solid TT results from Jumbo Visma and Jumbo Visma riders throughout the entirety of the last two years, except for Plage de Belfia, where it didn't go right perfectly. But in this situation, it did. And then at the Olympics last year, also a pretty solid performance by riders that were on the Jumbo uh, team as well at that point. So the equipment's right, that's clear. And then you look at certain other teams and it's visible that there's such a difference between Yumbo and the way they prepare for time trials versus, for example, a Cofidis or an Arkea, for example. We see that Nairo Quintana is probably having, honestly, a terrible time trial, in my personal opinion. He's losing a significant amount of time on this time trial. It was 42 seconds down at the first intermediate, if I recall correctly, and then at the end, 117. In an ideal world, if he wants to compete for GC or he needs to stay within, what is it, 45 seconds max? It's still too much on paper. Yeah, it's still a lot. The problem is, and he lost so much on the flatter, faster section. You look at his side profile. He's like in a, a 1995 position. <laughs> he's got no stack. It's so low. And you can visibly see like the gap between his hands and head is a foot and he's not trying to get low. It's That's, I guess, the argument we had about should time trial bikes be banned. I would argue that with Arkea should have enough money that he can get a better position than that and go just a, a little bit faster. Like, cause even if at the Giro, Benji, if he did it, like, you can't lose that much time. You need to be somewhat yeah. 
there or thereabouts. Bahrain too, their setup is is no good. And it just makes a huge difference. Yumbos looks the quickest. Uh, FDJ with Kung is dialed. Weird though, Benji. We'll get to the splits and the details in a second, but David Godu did this TT in 20 minutes. Wout did it in 16.20. He lost 3 minutes 40. He's clearly not right. Like, why is he here? He crashed two days ago, and yesterday I think he uh, finished quite late as well on the stage, although I don't 100% know. Like, uh, I saw him dropping on one of the climbs yesterday where he said, I'm completely done for, mate, to the camera. And the day before he finished, I think, last on stage two as well. Was that the day he crashed? Yeah, last, 10 minutes behind uh, the friend of the race. So, I don't know, perhaps it's at a point where he's just riding it to finish stages, and if you need to do that in Paris, you might as well be better uh, in recovery, I would say. Because I feel like it's probably not great to be finishing this race if you're not exactly on point. I mean, we saw Thibaut Pinot finish the 2020 Tour de France with a bad back after stage one when he crashed. How did that work out for everyone? Was that a good idea? No. I mean, and this isn't even the Tour. I get it. Like, if you crash on stage 19 and you want to finish the Tour, soldier through. Come on, it's Paranese. Like, maybe you'll prove us wrong and win the Torini stage from the break. But if <laughs> that's not the target, then this is a, a waste of time and he should be recovering at home. So, yeah, that's just a note. It's weird. He, ne- he nearly finished outside the time limit today. Yeah. Otherwise, in terms of pacing, Simon Yates did <laughs> a big positive split. He was the fastest to the intermediate, which was a 48k an hour average, and then ninth on the second section. And he sort of ran out of gas on the final climb. But he's whipped a TTR like this before, apparently, Benji. I didn't ex- remember it, but then I was like, oh, it made sense. Is he Roglic's closest rival now, or is that wow for GC here? I don't think there's actual competition for Roglic in this race anymore. I'm going to be <laughs> honest about that. I don't <laughs> think anyone can remotely beat Roglic here unless he crashes again on the final stage, which I hope doesn't happen because I don't like when riders lose because they crash. The thing is, you're right, Fanat is up there as well. And when we look at GC, which is now Fanat taking that yellow with Roglic in second on 10 seconds, and Laporte, who also did a decent time trial, to be honest, on 28 seconds. Laporte is the clear outlier there who won't beat her off to the mountain stage, I would dare to say. When it comes to Van Aert and Roglic, like, you can play both gods in the coming stages, but do they need to? That is the question. Because last year at Tireno, Van Aert was going all out on the mountain stage and so forth, and later they publicly mentioned that they kind of regretted doing that because it might have had an influence on his form in the more important races, the classics that came later. And now I've got the feeling that he's always going hard in this Paranese as well, which means that is it really better than Atireno last year? Or is it because his form currently is not at the level that he was during Tireno last year, you think, that they allowed this to happen in preparation of the classics? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the grand plan is. I see mixed messages all the time. I don't know whether Wout's joking anymore. He's getting more jokey <laughs> with the English press. I think he's like, oh, I could maybe go for GC, see how the time trial goes. Like, I 
I don't know what to think anymore. I think it's still for all for Roglic. I mean, it depends. Yeah. We've seen reports that Torini's the mountaintop finish on stage seven. It might be snowy conditions. If that gets cancelled, Laporte. <laughs> nah, nah. It's stage eight's harder than last year. I think Wout then becomes the favourite for GC. Uh, yeah. If Torini gets cancelled, Greg Menavamart, Torino Adriatico, GC win style. Um, but Dennis, actually, like I kind of expect you picked him, Benji, mainly because I picked Roglic. I, yeah. I thought Wout was a little bit banged up, but. He's beaten Kung here by four seconds on a hilly course. Really nice TT from him. If you make it 50 minutes or an hour, he's looking even better probably. I think that was really good. Any any other performances that stood out? Hater obviously has good legs. Latour good. Um, Martinez beat Vlasov. Any any others that stood out? Yates was a little bit under for me. Uh Adam Yates or Simon Yates? Adam. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Whichever one Adam. rode in the Ineos skin suit. <laughs> we don't know. They yeah, look the same. <laughs> yeah, Adam uh, was a bit of an underperformance. You're right, 19 for 43 seconds. But it's also not the end of the world necessarily. It's an average time trial, I'd argue. And not a good time trial, not a bad time trial, an average one. And then I look at Ethan Hayter, who performed better than we... well. We expected a decent time for Hater based on his two time trials at Algarve and Bessèche, so it's kind of on par with what I expected. The outliers for me in the top ten is perhaps that Bellator is acting or riding better than expected this entire year so far. Got four of them Bessèche, fifth in Provence, and now is solidly on his way to perhaps getting a top five in this Paris if he continues like this. Because I'm pretty sure he's high up in GC as well. He has fifth at the moment on 51 seconds. So if he can continue that, that might be possible. If Turini happens, that might become an issue to get that top five. But a top 10 seems to be in the cards for him, quite certainly. And then the question is, what is this team Total Energy going to want to do with him? And I think they're going to want to focus on GCs even in Grand Tours with him so that they can gain extra points in top 10 or, well, probably top 15 positions in GC because the top 10 with Latour is. A bit difficult, I'd well, argue. Well, he can. Yeah. Good TT, shallow climbs. Yeah. You think he'd top 10. Uh, yeah. If he rides the way, if I'm controlling his radio, he could top 10. <laughs> if, <laughs> if he's doing his stuff, then maybe not. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. When it comes to Bissiger, so we see a shorter time trial. Is it the hills that yep. do it for him, the bottleneck? Yeah. Yep. I'm not surprised. Uh, where he finished up. I actually, well, no, I am. He finished eighth, but it's on 21 to Wout. I thought Kung was underrated again. Kung was $4.50 head-to-head against Bissiger. Outrageous disrespect. And I think Bissiger's, he's a fast CDA boy. And I know he won this TT last year uh, very narrowly ahead of Cavania, who got robbed by, I think, the Alperson car in the last finishing straight. <laughs> this is a higher-level competition here. Look, look at the top four. Van Aert, Roglic, Dennis, Kung. Poof. And with the extra climbing, it's harder than last year. I think the hills uh, were an issue. Pedersen, good TT. He's focusing, of course, on that TT in the Tour. He's hoping to stay close and then take bonus seconds in later sprints or stage five. Uh, otherwise... Wait. Yeah, I, I just the, the have and have nots like Yon Izagira Benji. He won the Dauphiné Hilly TT last year and he's 28th on a yeah. minute. Like yeah, It's not looking great at the moment. Then he's the kind of rider at Coffitas gets to 
do well in GC and top 10 positions to gain points, but it's not working like this. And next to that, I feel like it's confidence in general. We joked last year that perhaps Max Walshite could go to the team and teach them a bit about Arrow, but I've got the feeling that it's actually necessary that he teaches the team a bit about Arrow because like, their positions as well are not what looks like a, a position in time trials that get you a good time. And yeah, their riders are not always the best time trials. Guillaume Martin is known as a pretty bad time trialist compared to the average of a, a pro cyclist. But yeah, it's part of that. It's it's part of getting good results as GC riders. So the team needs to focus that if they if they want to achieve that. But when it comes to UAE, we've noticed that McNulty had that crash. His performances have not been amazing as a consequence. And then we have Almeida, who's currently sitting in 36th GC on 318. Part of that being the uh, obvious echelon deficit that he took there. But his time trial was also not that great. 22nd on 47 seconds. I expect more from a a man like Almeida here. What do you think we need to conclude outside of a Pyrenees for a rider like that, knowing that he's riding GC in a Giro? Or is this not really a, a thing that concludes anything? I don't know. I think both Mignolski and Almeida look like they don't want to be here, to be honest. They're at, they're over it. And I think I think two, three hard days, one of which is just getting your ass kicked in echelons for three hours can really make people feel the morale a bit low. And, yeah, I don't know. But whether that affected the TT, I'm not sure exactly. But GC. Yumbo in huge control. Van Aert 10 seconds ahead of Roglic. He takes the jersey off Laporte. And uh, they're still 1, 2, 3. Yates on 49 to Val Van Aert, 39 to Roglic. Then it's Latour, Pedersen, Martinez, Vlasov on a minute 9. Bissiger, Cry Anderson, Hagues on a minute 45. So there's huge gaps to most of the GC guys. Quintana's on uh, 145 to Roglic. Tomorrow's stage, pretty hard. 189Ks from Saint-Jouve-Saint-Rambert to Saint-Savo-de-Montagu. And it is hilly. They start with, in the first 20Ks, a 9.6K, 6.5% climb to establish the break. And then it's flat to downhill. Then 114Ks in, another 6.5K, 7.5% climb. Then little roller. And then another 7.5K, 8% 8% climb with 34Ks left, descent, and then a 5K, 5% climb, descent to the finish. Wout Van Aert could win this stage if they pace, but I think this is break. We have so many guys on so much time. I'd be expecting, if Godu's not in the break tomorrow with uh, McNulty and others, I'd be surprised. Do you, why would Jumbo pace the break hard, Benji? Oh, I don't really uh, see a point to that, depending on whether there's a dangerous rider in there, of course. But they've got quite a an advantage in GC, so it's not like there's... Unless a GC rider is in there, they're probably not going to start pacing too extremely. And then the question is, what are the opponents going to do? And then I look at riders like Amaury van Sevenant, for example, to jump in a breakaway, stuff like that. I don't know what Movistar has when it comes to trying to get in breakaways. I think Izagiri is here... Jurgensen crashed, I think, at some point, but I'm not sure how his form is now. So potentially a breakaway rider if he's relatively okay. Mulberger, same question. Or was that rider that crashed out? Or was that the other Austrian? Groschartner. Was Groschartner? Yes. Groschartner, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Nelson Paulus? Is that 
Or is he too close in G, GC? Probably. I mean, where is he? I feel like he lost a lot of time in crosswinds. He's 43rd on GC on 354. That's just the worst spot. Because <laughs> yeah. same with Guillaume Martin. He's on 320. Almeida's on 318. You can't get a good GC result anymore. But Yumbo yeah. will be like, eh, can you not get in the break? Storm, um, 18 minutes down. He Dave looks I? terrible, though. Like, you want to lose yeah. some time, but you don't want to be like getting dropped in the early stages because you're unwell. <laughs> um, okay. I, I like Vine for tomorrow. And okay. Who else? Who else has looked kind of good? Has anyone attacked? Sir and Kra? Good question. I think I'm going to go for an outsider pick. And I'm going to say the winner of tomorrow's stage will be Rain Tarame, despite only being on 414 in GC. I reckon they'll let Taramai get in the break. I'm trying to look. Simon Carr, so he's a decent option. Matthew Holmes will probably be in the break. Hater. There's a lot of guys. I'm expecting a big break to form. McNulty, Carl Friedrich Hagen, all these Oof. guys. Geschke, yeah. Mater. He's on nine minutes. Yep. If he gets Those the break, Yumbo pace. Well, Poles, all right, yep. it's going to be a break, 100%. Yep. Why would Yumbo burn themselves, Chase? But will another team? A will third one, two, three. Like, it's possible. True. Why not? Will Quintana <laughs> tell RK to pace? Uh, like, why would he pace the entire stage if he can just let the break win and still try and gain time? True. Exactly. Yeah. All right. We think break's winning. That means probably Roglic. And well, one two <laughs> in the finish. But yeah, that was Paranese stage four. Big or exciting medium mountain stage tomorrow. Now on to Torino Adriatico, where we had a similar stage to yesterday, and even the one in Paranese, where it looked like there might be some interesting climbs, but it was probably going to be a sprint 85 to 90% of the time. 170 Ks. 5K is 4.5%, 4K is 5%, 6.7K is 3.6%, but a lot pretty far from the finish. And Poggio Ewan is here. He ain't going <laughs> to let himself get dropped on those. I don't think Torino last year. I mean, he's a little bit sick. Anyway, Pagancha in GC lead, Pro Conti break, but UAE pacing, Benji. For, for who? Yeah, that was a good question. Akerman, they have as a sprinter. They've got Pogacar for GC. And I was guessing they were doing something for Akerman because we were at this point already on the top of the last proper hill on the plateau section on top. And therefore, there's not really a hill where they can attack on. So I thought, okay, is just riding it in, pretending they're actually helping out Akerman, so he's happy about the team. But they actually were planning something, apparently, because just before the intermediate sprint game, we saw that Soler attacked straight from that train with Pogacar in the wheel. We had a duo attack. Only one rider from the competition was instantly in their wheel, which was Alaphilippe. Landa panicked and also tried to bridge, but he failed to do so while the three went on. Then Tao Gegenhardt also went and he made the move to Landa. He then dropped Landa and then moved towards Pogacar and was able to bridge towards those three. So we had a four-man group for quite a bit. Gap was 30 seconds at one point with Pogacar, Soler, Alaphilippe and L- uh heart yes and those riders actually fought for the intermediate sprint as well because that was the 
probably the thing that Pogaccia was going for until he noticed they had a gap and then they kept going. Pogaccia took the five points there and probably bonus seconds as well. And they had a bit of a gap now. And the peloton behind, a lot of teams missed that. A lot of teams wanted to have a sprint. It was mainly Jumbo that I saw making moves to have one rider at the front to have that base somewhat going so that these four riders don't ride off to a victory here because it's Pogacar. And we've seen quite a few times if Pogacar goes, then you might not see him again. But this was supposed to be a sprint stage. So a lot of teams would be very happy to catch that rider and those riders at the front. And eventually with 10k to go, that actually happened. But before we get to that point, I want to mention that Alphilippe was uh, facing in that four-man group. And I'm ah, it's doubtful whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Because on one end, Alaphilippe pacing makes that the competition behind needs to pace after Alaphilippe. Thus, Quickstep gets stronger in the peloton relative to the competitors that they have there. And then we look at the breakaway and then he's also making sure that Pogacar has a longer effort if he stays in that breakaway longer but if he paces too much then he's putting pressure on the Remco Evenepoel in the group behind so ah there's a thin line there what do you think he should have done should he pace with those three or four three other riders or should he not pace with those he's probably doing half pulls I guess and knew he was going to get caught I think if it got to a big gap he wouldn't have paced is Alaphilippe Quickstep's best GC rider at this race I mean Got some long climbs to come in the on the weekend to Carpeña. I know Avonapol did a good TT, but yeah, as a the stage really looks good for Alaphilippe that Carpeña stage, and I can't wait to see what they do. Six k is ten percent. That might even be too hard for him, but there's the descents off it that suit him a lot. So yeah, probably Pogaccia wins it anyway, so it's all a moot point um, <laughs> that stage. But yeah, I think. We're seeing in the one-week races when you put Van Aert and Roglic together or Alaphilippe and Evenepoel together, it's, they're all superstars and they're not used to playing sort of two-man team tactics and also a pride thing. Like Alaphilippe at Flanders 2020 is in the break with Van der Poel and, and Van Aert. It's like, I'll take a pull. I was like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, think, I, I don't think it made a big deal. Uh, in the end um but yeah, yeah it was going to be a sprint what do you see from the the trains Ineos did the same thing again Benji they're using Ghana to basically preserve all the other leadouts yeah certainly they made sure that other leadouts didn't have to spend the effort initially and therefore had the riders to do something towards the end and it kind of counters them as well because then you've got two riders left Swift and Viviani and you know that if these other trains have more riders then those riders will probably wave over you towards the end of the the stage in the last few kilometers in the same way that we've seen with bike exchange in UAE where they were at the front, other teams waved over them because Alpacin comes late, Quickstep comes late, stuff like that. And surprisingly, we saw that Jumbo also had support for Olaf Koy today because yesterday we didn't have that in the UAE tour. There was some support with riders working for him, but it wasn't necessarily a whole team. And this time around, we had four riders, including himself, at the front in a train formation to keep him at the front. So it's good to see that that team is supporting a sprinter that clearly has talent. We've we've mentioned it yesterday. And next to that, when we look at the other teams, I actually didn't spot too much of Lotto, Sudal, at the end of this stage. And it started getting clear once with roughly 1.4, 1.3 kilometers to go. I only noticed Ewan, nobody else. So from this point of the race, if he wins this stage, 
it's not thanks to his lead out, I dare to say, right? Yeah, and it's there's one thing worse than having no lead out, and it's fully trusting a bad lead out. Um, but I'm not sure those guys were there. So it was even different to the stage in Saudi where he had two guys at like 500 to go and then they didn't move up. It was he was isolated. But he managed his position a little bit better today. There's a left-hand bend with 250 to go. Guarnieri brought Damar up who's been nowhere recently and it was a technical narrow finish yesterday. He brought him up. But again... He finished very, very early. It was like they were missing Sinkledam. Like when Guarnieri started, it's where Sinkledam normally starts and he can't pull forever. DeMar's hitting the front with 275 to go and he doesn't sprint straight away. There was an Alperson rider. I don't think it was Melier. I think it was Melier's uh, lead-out man. It was maybe Stannard, a smaller guy. DeMar shelters behind him for a bit. He's got Ackerman on the wheel, then Ewan, Coy. Coy's fighting someone a little bit for Ewan's wheel, and DeMar kicks with 250. It's like a – it's not cobbles, but it's not tarmac road surface either. It was We're not allowed to have safe finishes in Toronto this week, so it's some sort of <laughs> cobbly, cobbly finish, um, but it was at least straight. And DeMar's kick was really good, I have to say. Given clear out 250, really impressive sprint from DeMar, able to hold it for a long time. Ewan nearly got sold by Ackerman in this sprint. Ackerman takes aggressively DeMar's wheel. Ewan's got his wheel overlapped between Ackerman's back wheel and the barrier, so he has to wait. Ackerman then loses the wheel of DeMar with 150 to go, and then Ewan has to restart his sprint to the right of Ackerman, gets, and like Fabio when he slipstreamed Laporte at Kerner, gets into DeMar's draft and surges over him in the last 25, 40 metres and it was Ewan's initial burst. You just see the difference, Benji. When he kicked properly off Ackerman's wheel, like Coy, Coy like couldn't respond and take his wheel. Coy had to go up the inside, and I, I'm not sure he could have done much better actually. Um, but yeah, it's the problem with Ewan is looks so good, it's not replicable. Replicable, whatever I said there. Um, he got a bit lucky today. When it comes to you, and we've noticed quite a few times that positioning is the key to getting a uh, competitive result. Competitive positioning leads to the ability to sprint for the victory. However, he's in a competitive position. He's likely winning that stage unless there's a quick step sprinter that is a top-notch sprinter that has a bit of a gap on him when the sprint starts. Because even if he's in the wheel of the quick step sprinter, half of the time he does still win. Jakobsen in Furnu was the other way around, though. But when it comes to... Uh, Goy, yeah, he doesn't have that kick like Ewan does initially, and that's how Ewan is able to get that initial gap on the likes of a Goy. But Goy was able to get around Ackerman on the left at the same speed that Merlier was trying to come around on the right side. So pretty solid speed on that end. Merlier, yeah, wasn't on it today compared to uh, Ewan and Goy, but also didn't have the perfect position, I'd argue, because of that Demar train going over on the left side. But when it comes to the non-sprinters today, I want to mention that Apparently, GC riders lost time today. And uh, there's a 12-second gap in the middle of the peloton. And I'm not really sure why that's the case. Probably a gap opened up between the riders. And the riders that lost time was Marc Padun, 
Buchmann once again, Richie Port, Landa, Hindley, Pino, and Gegenhardt, and Uran. So I'm not sure if that gap will stay until tomorrow. Perhaps it needs to be corrected, but for now, there's a 12-second gap. Wow. So someone's... They've actually counted it. Lopez and Wellens just made it in Carapaz on the right side of that gap. I hadn't noticed that. Rare to see that, actually, at a sprint stage at the end like this. Tomorrow, though, we have hopefully the first... Uh, interesting stage. It's been a slow start to Torreno. Finishing in Balante, 201 Ks, very hilly, like 5 Ks, 4%, straight out of the neutral zone, then shallow gradient climbs all day, one long false flat descent in the middle before they do a circuit three times around Balante, which it uh, finishes with a 4.5 K, 5.7% climb. It's gradual. It's a bit flatter at the finish, 3.5%, uh, 3% in the last 250, 300 metres. Philippe will be probably the favourite for the stage. I wouldn't be surprised if Pogaccia wins it. Or I think Bike Exchange got to go all in for Matthews, Benji. Oh, should he? I think, yeah, on that finish, they should. But are they the team that need to do it? Because, yes. okay, if you say so. If they don't, I, uh, then they have to take wins. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right at that aspect. And they've also got the riders to control the breakaway here. The question is who can compete with him? Kort had a... Uh, Puncture in the last portion. I also think that the finish is too hard for Magnus Court Nielsen from the peloton, from the breakaway, perhaps. But yeah, true. I don't see it. I'm just going to say that Pogaccia wins that stage. I'm, and Alaphilippe's here as well. So I don't know. It's not that simple. <laughs> I would say normally breakaway, but you know, for someone like Quinn Simmons or Court Chicane is here as well. He won't be allowed to break, obviously, but or Narvaez, but I'm not sure people have lost that much time. Like in Paris-Nice, mm -hmm. it's still pretty tight. And I do think yep. if you're bike exchange, this is the stage you've circled for Matthews. So yep. you, you should be pacing and, and trying to win this. If it's a slow climb, steady, and he's in good position, him versus Alaphilippe versus Pogaccia uh, should be the ones going for the, the win. Although... Uh, there's no Conrad here. I'm trying to look for other other climby sprinty boys. It's not that many here. Is Van Avermaet? No, nah, probably not. Van Drama. Question. Does Remco go early? I mean, this is his sort of stage, isn't it? It's like European Championships. It's 200 yeah. Ks too. It's long. It would be the one. I mean, UA will shut down. I wouldn't be surprised if UAE sends Soler again on the second-to-last yep. or third-to-last climb just because they seem intent on playing with the peloton and making other people work. So look out for that again. I think they'll try that, and then Pagacha can sit in the wheels. Uh, but I'm, I don't see break. Uh, I don't see it. Daryl MP2, got to be mentioned on this sort of finish. they got a good sort of puncher squad with full sang and, and Brandler there. So hopefully a better stage in Toronto Adriatico tomorrow. In other news... Remco Evenepoel got a 400 euro fine. It was banned from driving for 21 days for doing 125 k's an hour in a 70 k zone. So I know what the laws are in Belgium. In Australia, <laughs> six months gone, your license uh, for that, and it's a bigger fine. Um, so, yeah. Have you gotten fined? I got fined for speeding. 
Yeah, but not 55 over. That's right. <laughs> 55 over, mate. Like, I've done 12Ks over and got fined, but 55, that's some serious gas. Apparently, he was his defense lawyer, according to Neville Flitz, said he was running late for a sponsor meeting after his, his physio. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's really much more to say on it. It's just, it was in the news. And I was surprised that Belgium's driving rules are, uh, are that lax. It's a big deal in Australia. So, yeah, you'd be having Umi, you'd be driving him around for six months if that had happened at the Tour Down Under. Um, but yeah, hopefully, we don't see that again. And it's just an isolated incident from Ramco. But thanks as always for listening to the podcast. We're going to hop on Swift for Tour of Utopia Stage One now. We'll see you with the double header recap tomorrow. Ciao.